37. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 6. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come from a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. We're glad to see you this morning. I know we have uh, several visitors among us. We're very, very glad that you've come to worship and to praise God together with us. Thank you so much for your presence in our assembly this morning. Um, as Jordan mentioned in his Bible class here in the auditorium this morning, he and I and several others uh, of us adults and, and a lot of our kids just got back from a week at Camp Bandina out on the west side, uh, west past San Antonio, and um, had a great week together. Um, you know, in, in 2020, they had to close the camp. We didn't have camp at all. And then in 2021, when, you know, we were still dealing with a lot of uh, fears and concerns about the COVID virus, uh, the numbers in 2021 of the campers that returned, they were kind of low. And then in 2022, last year, uh, there were still, you know, a lower, a lower number. But this year, uh, we had over 300 kids, 300 campers out there, which is about typical for what it was in 2019 and before. And uh, every Everybody had a fantastic time. Lots of good was done. Lots of Bible uh, studies and, and uh, Bible sermons and lessons were given. And uh, all the campers, all the kids, I don't know if your child went and, and they came back, they, they probably came back with great stories of, of having a good time with their friends and learning God's word and singing together. Uh, but I know they're tired. And the reason I know that is because I'm tired. And um, Really, really glad to be home though. We had, we had this week five of our young people here at Katy who responded uh, wanting to be baptized. Uh, I'm gonna name them briefly, won't ask you guys to stand up, but Zach Partain and Ben Johnston and um, Bethany Raider. Of course, the Raiders are in the process of their move back to the Dallas area. But those three young people and then two of our young ladies uh, who were baptized at a very early age, they, in, in thinking about the scriptures and examining their own hearts and own lives, decide they need to be baptized for the right reasons. And those two young ladies were J.C. Kemp and Jasmine Calhoun. And all these young people really, really want to serve the Lord. And I want you to encourage them and give them a hug and tell them how happy you are that they're New Testament Christians, that they been added to the body of Christ. Thank you so much for your support and your encouragement of Camp Bandina. This congregation has been involved in that camp session uh, for well over 40 years. And uh, lots and lots of, uh, of you, older adults, have been to that camp, grew up attending. And uh, it's wonderful to see the traditions and the, uh, the continued focus on God's word that happens there each year. Thank you for all of that. There is a day in all of our future that you cannot escape, it's the great day of judgment. You know, sometimes you wonder, what's the world coming to? You look around and you see the things that are being done and the decisions that are being made, not only at the government level of the, of the nations of this world, but you also see things that are being done just in culture and in society. And I've heard a lot over the last several years, people kind of wringing their hands and saying, what is the world coming to? 
But brethren, the Bible gives a very clear and emphatic answer. The world is coming to God and judgment. There is a great day coming. And I want to talk to you about that day this morning. Let's start with three passages. If you've got your Bible, you can open to these. Three passages to begin. Matthew 12, verse 36. Matthew 12, verse 36. What's the world coming to? It's coming to judgment. You have an appointment with God and so do I. Everybody who has ever lived has an appointment on that day to meet our maker, to stand before him. In Matthew 12, 36, Jesus says, of every idle word that men may speak, they will give an account for it on the day of judgment. Jesus believed that there is a day when we will stand before God and we will give an answer for how we've lived and for the words that we've spoken. Second passage, turn in your Bibles to Acts 24, verse 25. Acts 24, verse 25. And look at what Paul preached when he stood before Felix, a Roman official. In Acts 24, 25, he had this one opportunity to stand before a Roman governor and Paul was unjustly imprisoned. But he really chose not to talk a great deal about the injustice that he had suffered. Rather, he preached a sermon that had three points. Acts 24, 25, righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come. He had one shot, one opportunity to talk to this Roman governor, and that's what he chose to talk about, about doing what's right, righteousness, about self-control, about restraining our passions and impulses, and about the judgment that will come. Third passage, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. There is a day in all of our future. It is the end of history. It is the end of time. It is called the day of judgment. Second Corinthians 5 verse 10 puts it this way. We must all stand. We must all appear before the judgment bar, the judgment seat of Christ. Everyone must stand before him that we may receive the things that we've done in our flesh, whether of good, whether of evil, we will be judged one day. All must appear. When was the last time you really gave serious thought to the great day of judgment? It's easy to get into our routines and our ruts. It's easy to make plans and, and have ambitions for the future. And we put on our calendars all kinds of things that we plan to do. But brethren, the Bible says all of that may be interrupted. Let's talk about some features of the great day of judgment that's promised by God in Scripture. Number one, as you look at Scripture, it talks about the suddenness of this day. The suddenness of the day of judgment, the day when all the world ceases, when all of history stops and everyone stands before God and is judged, it will happen suddenly. Did you know that there are more than 300 New Testament references to the second coming of Christ, the day of judgment? More than 300 New Testament references. And there are three Greek words that are used to talk about the return of Jesus to this world, about his appearance. The three Greek words are these. The first one is the Greek word parousia. And the word means a coming or a presence or an arrival. In other words, here we live in history, it's 2023, and history has continued as it always has. People make decisions that some are good, some are bad, life goes on, but there will be a coming, a presence, an arrival of Jesus at the end 
when the day of judgment is about to occur. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 15 uses that Greek word, parousia. A second Greek word talking about the return of Christ and the day of judgment is apocalypsis. Maybe you're familiar with the English word apocalypse. There was a movie several years ago called Apocalypse Now, but the word apocalypse as used in scripture just means a revelation or an unveiling, like the curtain being pulled back. Reality is seen. And 1 Corinthians 1 verse 7 talks about how Christians are waiting for the unveiling, the revelation, the appearance of Jesus Christ. It's what we're waiting for. It's what we're looking forward to. A third term, epiphania. In English, we might say, I've had an epiphany, something that came to my mind. The word in Greek just means a manifestation or an appearance. And Paul talked about the second coming of Christ. He talked about the day of judgment as being an epiphany, a manifestation or an appearance of Jesus Christ, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. Those are the terms used, and all of those terms convey the idea of suddenness, of unexpectedness. You don't know when this will happen. It is well within the realm of possibility that we may not close today before the parousia, the apocalypse, the epiphany of Jesus Christ happens. It may yet be dozens of years in the future. It may yet be hundreds or thousands of years in the future. It's God's will, not ours, but it will happen suddenly. In fact, the New Testament talks about it as a thief in the night, as Cody just read a moment ago, 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 2. That day will come as a thief in the night. Thieves do not broadcast when they're going to break into your house. Again, 2 Peter 3 verse 10, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, unexpectedly, when you least expect it. Jesus used that kind of language in Matthew 24 verse 42. He said, keep watch for you don't know what day the Lord will return. And again, in Matthew 24 verse 44, two verses later, he said, he is coming at an hour when you do not expect. Just as a thought experiment for a moment, Consider what would happen to the world. Consider what would happen to us if God had told us when Jesus is going to return. If God had told us when the day of judgment would happen. Suppose God said to all of humanity on April 24th, 2024, just pick a day. That's when the Lord's going to return. That's when the day of judgment will take place. What do you think people would do with their lives? If they knew that they had until April 24th, 2024, or some other day, pick a day, if they knew on this particular day, at this particular time, at this particular hour, that's when the Lord will return, imagine what would happen to people's lives. The reason for the unexpected nature of the day of judgment, the reason for the suddenness of it, the reason for the fact that there are no signs that are given in scripture that would indicate to us that the end is near is because God wants us all to watch and to be ready. He wants us to remember that this world is not our home. We're just passing through. First Peter chapter two, verses 11 and 12. And he wants us to live accordingly. The day of judgment, the day in which we stand before our God and meet him in judgment. It will happen suddenly, unexpectedly. Second this morning, it's universality. There will be no excused or unexcused absences on the day of judgment. Mandatory attendance, you will appear. You have no choice in the matter. 
Acts 17.31, when Paul preached to the philosophers in Athens, Greece, he told them that God will judge the world in righteousness and he has appointed a day in which that will take place. Everybody will appear. All the people who have ever lived and that have died and gone on, they will all appear on that day. All who yet remain alive will appear on that day. Everybody. Nobody escapes the judgment. There's not enough money, enough power, enough influence. There are not enough decisions that you could make with your life that will cause you to be able to escape standing before and meeting your maker. That's one of the reasons why the Old Testament prophet Amos In Amos 4, verse 12, he told his countrymen, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. You're going to stand before him and his judgment will come. Matthew 25, 31 through 33, Jesus describes all the nations being gathered before him. Every nation that's ever existed or ever will exist will be there on that day. Jude 14 and 15, God's coming, the Lord's returning to execute judgment upon all. That leaves nobody out. The living and the dead, the small and the great, Revelation calls it. That's how it uses uh, the, the terminology to describe who's going to be present on that day. Revelation 20, verses 12 through 15. Everybody, kings and emperors and governors and rulers of all kinds. And then the people that have been forgotten by history, that have, that have never had their name recorded in history. Everybody who's ever lived will stand before God in judgment. And curiously, at least to me, Not only will human beings stand before God in judgment, but the Bible also indicates that angels will be judged. In 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 4 and again in Jude verse 6, the scripture says that not only will people be judged, you and me, but the angels themselves will stand before God in judgment. God has reserved them and chains under darkness until the day of his judgment, scripture says. The universality of the judgment. We looked a few moments ago at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. All must appear before the judgment bar of Christ. You will not escape. Third, when we think about the great day of judgment, the day into which all of us are coming, the Bible indicates its standard. We're talking about judgment after all. You know, when we were in elementary school, our teacher looked at our projects, our science projects in class, and our elementary teacher gave her judgment on those science projects. When you were in college and you took a math class, there were tests that you took and the standard was given to you, hopefully by your professor. He told you before you took the test what the standard would be. This test is going to cover this material and you need to know this material so that you can do well. And then he would judge how well you've done on the test. What kind of standard is being used to judge you and me? Let me talk to you for a moment about what the standard is not. Listen carefully. The standard is not the doctrines and the teachings of people. If you can't find the teaching in Scripture, if you can't find the doctrine in Scripture, and there are a lot of teachings, religious teachings, that have no support and no basis in this book, that is not the standard by which we'll be judged. Matthew 15, 9, Jesus said, you have worshiped me in vain, teaching as doctrines the teachings, the commandments of men. You're worshiping in vain when you do that. The standard is not your conscience. 
You know, there are a lot of things that we may do that really don't bother us. They don't make us feel like we've done anything wrong. All of us have a conscience and our conscience is there and it's, it's telling us this is right, this is wrong, this is right, this is wrong. But your conscience could be drastically misinformed. In Acts 23 verse 1, Paul said, I have lived before God in all good conscience until this day. And when he said that, he was including not just his life as a Christian, but he's also including before he was a Christian. When he was doing evil, he thought he was doing good. I've lived with good conscience until this day. John 16, 2, Jesus said, the hour is coming when some people who kill you, disciples, will think that they're doing God's service. Their conscience doesn't bother them, but they're doing evil. Don't let your conscience be the only thing that you listen to when it comes to what you're going to do on the day of judgment. A third negative standard, what is not the standard? Just being sincere, Matthew 7, 22. Just because you really mean it and just because you're enthusiastic and just because you're zealous does not mean that what you're doing pleases God. Again, the religion of our relatives, the way that you were brought up, the, the, the things that your mother and father and your grandmother and your grandfather that they thought were valuable and they thought were true. Just because my mother or my father thought something and believed something does not mean that my mother and my father were necessarily correct. They are not the standard. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 34 through 39, when some people follow me, they're gonna be opposed, unfortunately, to their father and mother, to their brothers and sisters. They're going to, they're gonna be separated from their very own families just because they follow me. But the standard of their salvation, the standard of their judgment is not what their parents or their grandparents or their aunts and uncles did. The standard of judgment is something much more holy and much higher than just the religion of our relatives. And certainly, brothers and sisters and friends, on the day of judgment, the standard is not what the majority is doing. Do not follow a multitude to do evil. Exodus 23, verse 2. The way that leads to salvation, Jesus tells us, is narrow, and few there are who find it. Matthew 7, verse 13. We should not look at broad mass movements of religious things and say, well, if a lot of people believe this, if a lot of people do this, they must be right. How could they be wrong? Jesus said the way is narrow. Don't make that your standard. The idea that a lot of people did this, that's not the standard. So what is the standard, John? The standard is, according to Jesus himself, his own words. John 12, 48. The word that I have spoken will judge you at the last day. Jesus says, my words, the things that I've said, the perfect law of liberty is what will judge us. James chapter two, verse 12. So speak and so act as those who will be judged by the perfect law of liberty. That's what he writes to us. The gospel is what will judge us. Romans chapter 2, verse 16, 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 8. The Lord is returning, 2 Thessalonians tells us, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and those, listen, who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we think about what the standard of our judgment is, it all comes back, brothers and sisters, to the words of the gospel, the law of liberty, the words of Christ. And God will ask you this question on that day, what have you done about my words? There are a lot of people that like to fight and argue 
and second guess and talk back to God. They'll read what his word tells them to do and then they'll say, yes, but I don't have to do that because what are you doing with the words of Jesus? What are you doing with the words you read in the New Testament? James 1.22 tells us, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. That's the standard that'll be used. Number four, let's talk about the judge. On the great day of judgment, who does the judge get to be? Who gets to decide our eternal destiny, our eternal fate? That's a pretty important question, don't you think? I don't want just anybody sitting on that judgment seat. I don't want just anybody listening to my case, listening to your case. Who decides? The scripture tells us that Jesus Christ is our judge. 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Matthew 25, 31 through 33, Jesus again will judge all the world. People will come to him and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant, or depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus Christ says that he will judge us. Acts 17, 31 puts it this way, God will judge the world by that man, Christ, whom he has ordained. And God, by the way, in that passage, Acts chapter 17, verse 31, God has guaranteed that the day of judgment will occur by raising Jesus from the dead. That's fascinating to me. There's a promise in scripture that the day of judgment will happen. And all we need is a promise from God, it's gonna happen. But Paul went a step further. Paul said, no, the day's not only been promised, but it's been guaranteed. And the guarantee of the judgment day is that Jesus was raised from the dead. When he came out of that tomb, he started a clock ticking in God's mind. God knows when the day will happen. But the appearance of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is what guarantees the judgment day will take place. Again, he was ordained by God, Paul told, or Peter told Cornelius. He was ordained by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. Acts chapter 10 and verse 42. Jesus Christ will be our judge. What kind of a judge is he? You know, if you, um, if you get in trouble with the law here in Harris County, they'll set a court date for you downtown. They might even call a jury for you downtown. And a lot of how your case turns out will depend on what kind of judge you get. What kind of judge are you gonna stand before? When you stand before God on the great day of judgment, what kind of judge will you stand before? He is a judge, Jesus is, who has full knowledge. Nobody needs to bring additional evidence before him because he already knows it all and he knows it better than you do. You know, sometimes I think about this. There are things in my life that I have long since forgotten. There are experiences and choices that I have made and I forgot them years ago and they will never again come to my mind, but he knows, he remembers and he can bring those things before me on that day. He can say, John, here's a choice you made. Here's something you decided. And even I will have to confess, yes, Lord, I remember that now. You've brought that to my memory. 
He has full knowledge of everything about our lives. Ecclesiastes 12, 14, he will bring every detail into judgment. Romans 2, 16, he will judge the secrets of men, even the stuff that you've never told anybody in all your life. He's got full knowledge of what you did, of what you thought, of what your attitudes were. He remembers. He will not fail in one detail. What kind of a judge is he? The Bible tells us that he is a just and a righteous judge. He's going to get it right. He's not going to make a mistake. You know, sometimes people worry about their loved ones who have passed on from this life. They're concerned about some of the choices their loved ones have made. And you love people, you, you care about them, and you want what's best for them. And one of the best things we could ever bring to our own minds in those moments, listen, one of the best things you could ever bring into your mind is this. Number one, we serve a God who loves us. But number two, he's not gonna make a single mistake. Whatever judgment we receive is gonna be the right decision, the right judgment. You can fool a lot of people. You can fool them into believing that you're sincere, they're, you're enthusiastic, and you can fool a lot of people into believing that you're serving Jesus Christ. But Jesus knows the truth. And he's not going to make any mistakes on that day. He's just and righteous. He is also impartial and fair. That is to say, everything he does and every decision he makes, it's going to be according to the standard. Did I live according to the principles that I find in Scripture? And more importantly even than that, did I throw myself, did you throw yourself upon the grace and the mercy that are to be found in Jesus Christ and in his blood? Because one of the really amazing things about all this is the judge who's going to stand, we're going to stand before on the day of judgment, he's also our Savior. He's also the one that gave his own life so that you don't have to be condemned. And the big question before us on the day of judgment is, before everyone on the day of judgment is, did I put my faith and my trust in what Jesus did to save me from my sin? Because I realize he remembers things that I don't and he remembers even the stuff that I do remember that I know I shouldn't have ever done. He can say to me, he could say to you, based on the blood that Jesus Christ shed, you're forgiven. Finally, when we talk about the day of judgment, we need to remember its finality. If you go to court in this country and you don't like the verdict that was given, most of the time you can appeal that verdict to a higher court. And if you don't like that verdict, you could probably appeal it again, depending on the rules and regulations. And if you really, really, really don't like what you're getting as a judgment, you can appeal even to the Supreme Court. And even if you don't like the Supreme Court's decision, you can go petition Congress and you can have them write a new law. And, and now I can do what I did. But the judgment on that day, there will be no appeals. There will be no extended judgments. There will be no, uh, there will be no let's delay this until a later date and think more about the details. We're going to stand before God. Think about this. You're going to stand before God once. Just you by yourself. And he knows all the details of your life. Everything you've ever thought, everything you've ever said, everything you've ever done. He knows all those details. He knows where your faith was. He knows what you believed in. 
He knows whether or not you chose to make Jesus Christ the center of your life. He knows all those things. And in that one moment, you're going to receive a judgment and it's final for all of eternity, forever and ever. What's he going to say on that day? To some people, he's going to say, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. You're saved. You're righteous. First Thessalonians 4:17, when the Lord returns and he brings all of the dead, those righteous dead and the saints that are with them will rise up and so shall we ever, forever and ever be with the Lord. But on the other hand, to many on that day, the Lord will say, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Remember how I said a few moments ago that the angels are going to be judged on that day as well? It's found in a number of places in scripture. That fire was prepared for them. And those who are wicked and those who refuse to trust and to believe Jesus Christ and to live for him, they're going to share that fate. You know, when people in our society talk about hell, it's either one of two things. It's either a joke, lots of memes on the internet about hell. It's either a joke or we place people there that we're really mad at. People that have done horrific things. People that have wounded us deeply. We tend to place those people in hell, but we don't think, we don't think it might be me. It might be the people that I love. And the question, the question that the king will ask on that day, on the day of judgment, what did you do with my words? What did you do with the gospel? What did you do with Jesus and the sacrifice that he made for you? What did you do with those things? You could say to God, well, I knew they were important, God, but it wasn't that important. I had other things that preoccupied me. Depart from me, you cursed. I will declare to them, Matthew 7, 23, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What is lawlessness? I'm going to live my life as if there is no law as if there are no obligations or responsibilities. I'm going to live my life how I see fit. Like Frank Sinatra saying, I'm going to do it my way. God looks at us and he says, but your way is the way of lawlessness. Friends, the day is going to come. The clock is ticking and there is no stopping it. It's in God's mind, not ours. And the question that you have to answer before that day comes, what will you do with Jesus who died on a cross and shed his blood so that you could be saved? He has extended an offer to you. It is an invitation. Come unto me, I will save you from wrath. 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 9 through 10. Believe the gospel, repent of your sin, obey Jesus by being baptized for the remission of your sins. Baptism is when somebody is buried with Christ and raised to walk in the newness of life. Baptism is when we become part of the new covenant of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that before it's too late? 